Hey, from New Jersey, it's the SNL Nerds, the show with two comics from New Jersey nerd out about Saturday Night Live. I'm your co-host, Darren Patterson. And I'm your co-host, John Trumbull. How you doing, John Trumbull? How's it going? I'm doing great. I'm, I'm excited about the show. We've got a very special guest with us today. Yeah, we do. We've, we've got uh, uh, comedian and writer Mike Lawrence. You know him from Roast Battle. You know him. Uh, he's written for Upload on Amazon. He's written for the last season of Inside Amy Schumer. And he's also written some special uh, weekend update segments with Pete Davidson for a little show called Saturday Night Live. Oh, I've heard of that show. I hear, yeah. I hear good things about it. Yeah, we, we should check that out sometime. Uh, so welcome, yeah. Mike. Hey, how's it going? Yeah. So thanks, thanks for joining us today. And you're gonna, we're gonna ask you a little about your your comedy career, your writing career, what's it yeah. like writing uh, with Pete Davidson for a Weekend Update, yeah. and your origin uh, story, if it were. Yes. <laughs> yes, your SNL nerd origin story. Like, how did you become an SNL nerd? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's always, yeah, like the age that you are. I'm, I'm 38, so, yeah, my time was, you know, very much explains why uh, <laughs> I loved Beverly Hills Ninja growing up, but, um, you know, was the Hartman, you know, Farley, uh, those guys. Uh, Kevin mm-hmm. Nealon was my weekend update dude. Oh, um, you missed the Dennis Miller era. I, I, I... I Narrowly did, and um, you know, uh, retroactively okay with that. Uh, <laughs> I, I will say, I, I grew up watching his HBO show with, with my dad, and oh, yeah, um, you know, we didn't even need to watch the whole show, just that last 10 minutes. I think it was called The Big Picture, mm-hmm. where they would just show pictures and he would riff on them. I mean, obviously, they were pre written, but they seemed like riffs when I was a kid. Uh, <laughs> I love that. Yeah, uh, but I always loved Neeland because Neeland came off out of I think almost any of them as an actual newscaster. He just had like this kind of Tom Brokaw-ish vibe to me. I can see that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I've always I've always thought Kevin Neeland was pretty underrated, just because like his type of humor is very kind of dry and it's like kind of very quiet. I think. Yeah, I forget who he said. I forget who he said who like inspired him. It might have been like Bob Newhart or. Something like that, but like his type of humor is very like kind of understated and quiet. It's not like big and bombastic, so you could miss all these great jokes if you're not really like into that type of zone. I feel. Yeah, and he was really good at the, um, you know, being a straight man to to yeah. guys like Sandler, you know, uh, and uh, Guido Sarducci and stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think his big thing was uh, the Mister Subliminal. Yeah, which I, I, which I always loved, just like the way he was just able to like really quickly say. Like that little subliminal message and, and keep on going and keep on going. It's like, really nice to meet you, hot sex. Um, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean the only I mean the only person who kinda of does it now is like Alex Moffat a little bit when he does that um the guy who bought a boat character. Uh-huh. Like that, that fast talk, fast talk, but like slipping in things here and there real quick. And then I I I I like Norm a lot. Not not as much, but I I, I did and I mean, it's funny because it's like my first exposure to all these guys was SNL, so I judged them on it. Like, uh-huh. I wasn't the biggest Colin Quinn update fan, but he is like a brilliant comic, and you know his stand-up and his specials are amazing. He just wasn't the best 
update guy, but it was also yeah. because I was looking at it through the lens of, but where's this guy? You know, and it's like when you're a kid, you don't understand contract disputes and just people <laughs> leaving and right. people getting fired because the boss is friends with the murderer. You know, all this, you know, <laughs> whoa, all allegedly, the- allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> if he did it, if he did it, right? In a very small typeface, right? Yeah, trying to keep the non-productive legal team here uh, happy. <laughs> I mean, I, I'll, I'll, I'll say uh, the amount of times that Norm called him a murderer made me think he was a murderer. <laughs> I love because, like, it is one of those like that firing makes a lot of sense because the jokes got less subtle. Yeah. <laughs> He's got yeah. blood on his hands. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I think the week that, that the verdict came through, he just opened up the weekend update by saying like, well, murder is now legal in California. <laughs> I mean, yeah. You don't get much more blatant than that with, with a, like a picture of O.J. Simpson behind him. So I mean, we, we definitely know who the Goldman family's favorite weekend update. <laughs> <laughs> I like this Norm guy. But yeah, I think that's, that's, that's part of the charm of Norm, why so many people love him, just because he really just does, I mean, I don't want to say he doesn't care. He kind of doesn't care. He'll, like, he'll just say whatever. And he's sort of that little element of danger that SNL kind of needs throughout the show. Like a lot of people like the fact that he just said, he just out and out said, yeah, this guy's a murderer. And yeah. And like he was, you know, it's, it's, he just put it out there. Yeah. I watched this like clip of him with, with Seinfeld and it was like the most norm joke. I think it was on comedians and cars where he's like, you know, uh, I, I, you know, Patton Oswalt said that, uh, the, the thing that, um, you know, hurt the most about, uh, about Bill Cosby was, you know, the hypocrisy. And I was like, you don't think it was the rape? (laughs) (laughs) And it's like, you can, you can distill Norm to that one joke if you want to. (laughs) Like, have you ever seen that, uh, the ESPN, the, the, was it the ESPYs where he's hosting? Oh, it's amazing. No, no. Oh my God, dude. It's like, he's, He's killing with a certain section and bombing with a lot of people, but the room was not <laughs> ready for it. Yeah, he's 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 an acquired taste. Not a lot of people are are with Norm, but the, yeah. those who are with him are with him. Yes, yes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And yeah. one of the best talk show guests ever. Yes. Yeah, I remember. Like there was a clip of him on Conan. Oh yeah, I know which yeah, one you're talking to. Courtney Thorne Smith, and she's yeah. the the Carrot Top movie chairman of the board, and, and Norm just goes, "Oh, they should spell it B O R E D." Yeah, and I remember that because Conan does this like full rotation chair spin. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's great stuff. Yeah. Oh, oh, Norm. So. We should watch a Norm movie next, maybe. Or I, you know, the, the, like when, when John asked me to pick a movie, I said uh, Beverly Hills Ninja, and then like two seconds later, I was like, "Dirty Work." And <laughs> but then, you you could have switched it to Dirty Work. My thought was, I was like, "There's no way that hasn't been picked," because I, you know, that's one of those, like you said, with Norm, like the people that love that, and I love that movie. Um, I I worked uh, the the first roast I did was with 
the writer of that movie, Frank Sebastiano, who mm-hmm. I know was, you know, an SNL writer for a long time. And, you know, he just looks at it as a movie that didn't make a lot of money. And I was like, dude, that movie, like, was seminal for me. <laughs> <laughs> that the is a was, big cult movie, man. Yeah. It's so great. It's, I mean, and, you know, a, a part of, some of it doesn't hold up. Like I, I watched it with my wife and she was like, this is kind of misogynistic. And I'm like, yeah, they do say the word whore a lot. Um, <laughs> and, and that's just Jack Warden's character. Uh, but God, is it, is it a wonderful time capsule of late nineties comedy? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, it is interesting to watch these movies and they, they are time capsules. Definitely. Um, like the yeah, first, I was gonna say, it's got Don Rickles and Third Eye Blind semi charm kind of life. <laughs> <laughs> and how many movies can you say that about? Yeah, <laughs> like the the first uh, summer hiatus uh, uh, after we started this podcast, we decided to go through all the SNL spinoff movies. Yeah, and there, I think that took us through like the first thirteen weeks or something like that. And we watched the It's Pat movie, and like the band Ween is in that. <laughs> yeah, you forget. Yeah, and it's just it's just such a time capsule of that moment in time. Yeah, it's. I mean, I I I never saw that one. I never saw the Stewart one, but it's like it kind of you know like there is kind of the test of are you almost done with this character in five minutes? Yeah, well, you're probably not gonna like a movie. <laughs> <laughs> and and that is pretty much it for both of those movies. Neither one is, neither one works. Um, I mean, and it, it, it I mean, it, it's Pat could not have predicted how problematic it would become. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, it was it was weird rewatching that movie. Like in in twenty eight uh, twenty nineteen, I think it was we watched that. So. Because it's like now, now you know, you would end every Pat sketch with like, "What are you? Whatever they want to be, that's what they are." <laughs> yes, <laughs> you, you'd get a, you'd get a lot more pronoun arguments and yeah, like that and it, like the sketch the sketch would be much more from Pat's point of view. I think. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. So okay, well, I mean, you you've also. You said you you've written for uh, several roasts. You've written for several of the Comedy Central roasts, like the the roast of Rob Lowe is one you worked on. What what are the others? Uh, Bruce Willis and uh, SNL favorite Alec Baldwin. Oh yes. Oh. Okay. So, did you have like a writer's room for those, or are you just submitting jokes remotely? How does that work? I yeah, was how did, had, and how did you get those uh, those those gigs too? Um. It was funny. I I submitted for Bieber. I didn't get hired for Bieber, and then I won roast battle. And they were like, "Oh, I think he's pretty good at this." Um, mm-hmm. And so I immediately got hired for Low after that, and um, and then uh, I submit. I was in the room for Low, and uh, I was I was one of Ann Coulter's main writers. You know, put that on my tombstone. Well, there you go. I mean, there's and, there's uh, something for the old resume. Yeah. Like when you say when you say you were one of Ann Coulter's writers, do you mean you were writing her comebacks for that? Well, that, that like you know, without getting 
too into it because I, I don't know how deep I can. Um, uh-huh. Each person is assigned like like a team, kind of like gotcha. like the first the first the beginning of of writing the roast. It's like the first you know it's like a a couple weeks, but the first week or two you're like okay, this is everyone on the dais. Let's just all write a ton of jokes. But then the job becomes more like talent producing where you're working with the talent to come up with a monologue. And, and a lot of times you're just picking from the best jokes of those first few weeks. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so it's like, okay, you know, you've got the Ann Coulter script. So you're working with her. You're, you know, organizing everything. You're giving her jokes to pick from. You're writing new ones. It just all depends, you know. It's it's mm-hmm. like like the Martha Stewart team, you know. They decide with Martha like what her tone is going to be and what the voice is going to be, and you know. So it's it, it's 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 a really fun job in that sense because there's a lot of variety to it. Um, right. And uh, I mean, and I mean, f- folks, for those that don't know, let's. Go watch like Mike Lawrence's um, clips on YouTube with his roast battles, because like, dude, you're like one of the most sharpest knives in the shed when it comes to roast battle. Like, I still remember watching uh, the Comedy Central roast battles you did with like Ralphie May and Sarah Tiana. And yeah. I'm like, my my lord, that was that was some legendary stuff you did on that. On <laughs> Thanks. My God, I was like, damn, this this dude's on fire. Yeah. yeah, and it's funny, like, I've done other stuff, you know, career-wise, but it's like, I, I know that's what I'm defined as, you know, uh, and it, it's okay, like, I because I, I love that it is a writer showcase, mm-hmm. and that it's ultimately, like, you know, people watch that, and they're like, oh, you know, like, I got a lot of jobs because of it, um, because, yeah, it's all about you know, writing skills and things like that. I mean, for the people that write their own, not everyone does, but I do. Right, yeah. I, I, I wrote, I wrote all my own roast jokes. Um, I was proud of that. Uh, and, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a fun thing. Yeah, like writing for Alec Baldwin was fun. Um, mm-hmm. Like getting into that voice. Like that's, that's the, like I said, that's the joy of that job is, what makes every person different and there's you know um like i think like the opening line for like baldwin was like thank you for all of your various compliments for the past hour and a half you know Mm -hmm. and like getting into like okay what can he say that nobody else can and and stuff like that because yeah a lot of roasting is just picking like the best jokes and there's like an interchangeability to it but when you write like stuff that only that person could say that's the real like beauty of it all yeah yeah and the thing about writing material for roasts is you're generating a ton of material that you can never reuse yeah none of this stuff can go in your act right no yeah it's it's very they're all unique like uh like snowflakes Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I, and I also like with uh, roast battle jokes, like how, like the, strat- the strategy of it too, because I mean, yeah, you like when it comes to roast battle, you could do things like attack a person's appearance, like, you know, if they're overweight or short or, you know, they have, you know, an odd look to them. But it, it's, it takes a little bit more cunning to maybe find another thing to 
attacked a person on. And like, like those people that put like a little bit more thought into it where they say, all right, everybody's going to attack this guy because he's overweight, but what else about him can I use that no one would think of? Like, yeah, that was, that those was, type of things I appreciate. That was the thing with Ralphie where I was up there and I think like he was like, oh, he's just going to call me fat. And then when I mentioned his divorce, he, yeah. like, his eyes changed and I was like, oh, wait, what? Wait, they can <laughs> yeah. talk about that? And it, and it was that thing, you know, like, or people would talk to me about that. Like, there's a few people that think I crossed the line by even mentioning it, but it is like, dude, he's a public figure. It was on his Wikipedia. It wasn't like this secret. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, dude, that, that moment in that battle, I was like, like, I felt it. Like, I hurt. <laughs> the way I was like, God <laughs> damn. That is. And it's, you know, it's interesting. It's like, um, I just got diagnosed with autism. And I realized, like, you know, thinking about my whole life uh, being on the spectrum, um, it is it, it really helped with roast battle mm-hmm. because having like emotional disassociation, <laughs> like, I don't think I I could do some of those jokes if I wasn't autistic, like <laughs> let, let alone writing them, but like being able to perform them in front of somebody. Cause like I had, to, I had to realize after a while with, with the roast battle world, like, Oh, there's something like wrong with the fact that I'm able to just say these <laughs> guiltlessly. Like this is not right. <laughs> <laughs> and and you're you're delivering it to the person's face. You're usually yes. just like looking straight at them. And I, I mean, some of these people I'm assuming you know, and some like Ralphie, you didn't really know, right? Yeah, I knew him a little bit. Like we we did like a podcast together, and you know, he was very nice to me. Um, but it was definitely like I never, and it, it's a shame I never talked to him after that. I, I know that he was genuinely upset. Mm-hmm. with the outcome of the battle um and you know and then he unfortunately passed and i never got to like talk to him again i i, I you know it's a little guilt i feel like i also know that i'm not responsible for his death <laughs> yeah uh specifically but uh um, fair <laughs> you know but but at the same time it, it sucks a little bit because like I didn't, you know, I didn't go up there maliciously. It was, you know, it was was a tournament. So, you know, they're telling you who to make fun of. And, you know, it's like, and it was either going to be him or Miss Pat. Uh Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, and then he won the battle with Miss Pat. So it's like I had a bunch of Miss Pat jokes and it could have gone that way too. Right. Yeah, and that's the other thing is you have to write for both of your potential opponents, and then whoever loses, that material just totally goes away. Yeah, it was one. It was yeah one of the toughest things I've ever done um, because of yeah that quick turnaround, and then like we taped the semifinals on a Friday night, and then did the lot. The finals were live on Sunday, and you know once you found out what the finalists were. Yeah, that was three sets that you had to write. And, uh-huh. um, yeah, one which you knew you weren't going to do. And um, and it was just, yeah, it was a tough thing of, like, having to <laughs> just generate that much material that quickly. Um, but, you know, it was, it, was, it was a fun challenge. 
And, yeah, and no. is the selection of jokes just totally up to you in the moment? Or do you go over it with like the show's staff ahead of time? Um, it's up to you. Like you, you send stuff like there's like one person that looks over it and that's just for like censorship purposes where they're like, and I think, you know, based on what airs, like, I think only like the worst thing they're like, okay, you can't, you legally can't do this joke. I, I never, I, I, I thankfully never got that, but, um, I think that uh, for the most part, it, it was very much just, yeah, you can go out. I think, you know, if I wanted to switch up the order in real time, I, I could have done that. Mm-hmm. But it's also the, the way that I always try to do it. And and I see this with, with I, I think, a lot of the best battlers is you're trying to tell a narrative. Right. And I feel like your jokes are stronger if they can only be done. In, in an exact way like like if you look at the ralphie roasts i am telling the story and my last joke is like a culmination of those first few jokes gotcha and and i could not have done that last joke first and and i think when you when you piece things like that i i think it it helps um it helps differentiate the jokes too it's like once i know what my story is about the person um, then I'm able to like focus uniquely on them. Yeah, I definitely saw that when you were with like the first few jokes you told, you know, the told to Ralphie were like you could tell that it was like building up to a bigger joke, which was the last joke, which was the a total KO. And you also I also saw that in the other uh, battles you had too, like the one with uh, Matthew Broussard or uh, yeah. Zach Amico one at the old stand. Like you can see it, you're building towards like a bigger, more explosive joke towards the end. Yeah, and it's. You know, and that's a, it's a tough thing to pull off sometimes because if that first joke doesn't hit, it's like it's such a, I mean, it's such a stressful thing because, <laughs> like you said, like you, one, you're insulting people, so there's that. Like uh, you're trying not to be too mean. You want to be funny first, like yeah, you know, because uh, I've also I've judged hundreds of of roast battles and. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, the the first big mistake is, you know, mean over funny. Yeah, yeah. And it's a and it's a tough thing where, yeah, you know, and especially when it's like, the worst is when it's mean and it's not even like uniquely mean. It's like, mm. like enough, like there's a roast battle circuit to the point where people will watch other people's battles and then they'll just do the same jokes. Ah. Like the same topic areas, but it's not even something that they care about or are interested in. It's just like a generic fat joke or generic ball joke or whatever. Yeah, or they're like, oh, well, everyone else has talked about, you know, this, this, okay, like this guy's brother died and I'm going to talk about it because everyone else just, he's the guy with the dead brother. But yeah. it's like it's not even something that you care about or are interested in, or you yeah. know, it's because you you, you kind of have to with roast. Like there is that part of like, okay, what is the thing that I notice? What's the thing that annoys me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and and even it's also it's like, what's the thing I like? You know, like what are 
this is like a really underrated, you know, thing. I guess I'm giving a class without meaning to give a class, but no, no, we love it. Keep going. Yeah, but when you think about like the stuff that you know, one one of the worst things you can do in comedy is a false premise, right? Yeah. So yeah, you have to really uniquely look at individuals. This is with any roast joke, with, with any you know, anytime you're making fun of something. What are the things that I can't say because they're just not true? You know, like, okay, like if I want to make fun of Stevie Wonder, okay, I can make fun of him for being blind and and everybody does it because he is blind. But I can't say he's untalented because he's objectively not untalented. He's extremely talented. So, you know, like that's, it's one of those interesting things. Like when I would, you know, roast other comedians and all that like you can't just call a comic not funny like you can for certain comics and if you believe they're not funny you could say they're not funny but like you know that was a thing with ralphie where it was like i couldn't go after the act specifically i i couldn't say he was unsuccessful because he was very successful right you know i i couldn't say that you know, if I wanted to say that I didn't find him funny and that's something I truly believed, I could say that if I'm able to sell it. But I, I did, you know, it was like, you know, there were people after that battle that tweeted me like, yeah, but, you know, he sells out theaters and no one knows who you are. And I'm like, I'm aware of that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. like, yeah. I got the note. Yes, I know. Yeah. I was like, you know why I'm aware of that? Like that, that, that's why I had to do well at this roast battle. Right. He I didn't. Mean, <laughs> like, you, you had, you had more at stake. It sounded like, you know, Ralphie was maybe going in, like assuming he, he, he would win and you were maybe a little hungrier. So it meant more to you. Yeah. I, I think that he thought it would just be this fun thing. And like, Oh, I love mm-hmm. talking trash. And, I don't think he realized, and I don't, you know, there are lots of comics. It's a generational thing too. comics in their forties, fifties, sixties who like stop by roast battle or watch roast battle. And they're like, Oh Jesus fucking Christ. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What are you kids doing these days? Yeah. That's a part of it. Like, you know, where they, you know, watched, um, and it was a different vibe, uh, those uh, Dean Martin roast and things like that. I yeah. I miss that vibe in some ways where it feels like, you know, you're like watching Mount Olympus where all the celebrities know each other and they're just bigger than life. And, you know, mm-hmm. you're watching like, like there's one where I've seen like Orson Welles roasting Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, It's just a different thing where now it is more like, booked and um just all right we need this and let's get this and we have all these slots to fill and it just it's a i i don't think it's a it's a bad thing it's just a different thing yeah yeah definitely so okay well let me let me ask you the question that i think everyone who's ever watched roast battle is dying to know what's the wave really like (laughs) they're really nice they're really nice uh and they're extremely all talented like you know willie hunter is like the co-creator of the carmichael show Uh uh-huh um and a great comic and and a great writer um i I worked with him on the baldwin roast he's super funny uh jamar neighbors is one of like 
the best comics I've seen in, in years. Like just in terms of that, the, you know, that style of like, uh-huh. I'm going to lose you until I find you again. And he like, cause those guys, if you go to the LA roast battle show, um, or at least, you know, pre pandemic, those three guys often would do stand up before the show starts. Okay. okay and, so they were like warming up. Yeah. And so if I was judging, you know, I'd be there and I'd, I'd watch them and, and Jamar's sets are just like magical. I mean, I, I can't even quote most of what he says, but mm-hmm. it's really funny and his character work is amazing. Um, we actually battled each other in San Francisco. I, I think somebody was like, Mike and Jamar, let's do it. And it was the most fun I ever had uh, roasting somebody. That is really, very cool. I, yeah, I didn't and, realize that they were stand-ups in their own right. So, I mean, did they just like form that for the roast battle show, or were they together in some capacity before that? I mean, they were all comics, and then, you know, I think they're like, oh, let's do this. And yeah, and Jeremiah, like... He's another like just yeah his character work. He's he's that guy I respect him so much because he like you know he was like the one of the band members on Kill Tony. He's one of um like the hype guys on Comedy Jam. Like he incorporated himself into all these different you know like variety show and and, and theme shows. Um as a way to promote himself and as a way to just like show how talented he is. And it really like has paid off because he's like, like all three of those guys are so consistent. And, and when you see them individually and then you see them as the wave, mm-hmm. like you respect them so much because you could see their comedic voices in the bits that they do. Okay, that's that's very that's a very cool answer. I'm gonna have to do some more investigation on all of those guys. And 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 I'll I'll say this that, you know, I think that the way I I know not everyone loved them on television. I don't I don't think that it works as well in on television. Um, yeah. Because TV is all about just give it to me now, and you know they are they're a pause in the action kind of like yeah. of the roast action, but in the room like at the comedy store i mean they have saved countless battles them and coach t the 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 dj um because you know comedy is all about tension and release and they they are the release and that show often has a lot of tension (laughs) i didn't even think of that yeah like i imagine there are are times where somebody does say something that's causes like a little, little bit like you said a little bit of tension in the room and then they just come out and diffuse that yeah and then and, and it makes it more yeah it's like it's fun too that it's like okay these two people are saying this stuff about each other but then you're also having like dancing and you know we I, i've seen some of the weirdest like one i saw was um one wave sketch that i saw <laughs> there was um like there was a joke. This was when I was judging, but um, and then one guy was an airplane that was spinning around, and he ran into another guy who then fell over another guy. So they basically they reenacted nine eleven. Oh wow! <laughs> wow! And 
And the thing is, it's like, it you know, there's like an offensiveness to that, obviously, but it was so goofy in the moment and the faces that they made. <laughs> you know, it's like, like I, I, I grew up, you know, watching the Apollo and all that, and it's like I, I love the Sandman. No, mm-hmm. absolutely. Because the Sandman was often that like release. And, and they remind me of that sometimes. Like when you watch like a really bad battle and, and two people are, are, are bombing, the wave is the only thing that's like worthwhile. <laughs> and, they're, yeah. and, the, and they're making it, you know, they make it a show. It's like it, it, it's all bells and whistles, but it's like they are so needed in that moment. <laughs> right. Yeah. So they just act that. as like a reminder as to like, don't take all this too seriously. No one's out exactly. here for blood. It's just, it's just jokes. We're all here for fun. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, I try, like, as a, as a judge and even as a, a as a battler, like, you know, I want to be able to talk to anyone that I I, I judged afterwards. I want to be able to, like, yeah, we're just having fun, you know. Especially like newer comics, and I understand it. It's hard not to take it personally or seriously, you know. But mm-hmm. um, it is supposed to be goofy, and when you see, like, you know. Jamar and Willie shaving Jeremiah's pubes. Uh, you're reminded <laughs> of that. <laughs> yes, pube shaving will save us all. That's, yes, I've I mean, said this yeah, time and time again. Right. I mean, there there is nothing that will take you out of a moment like pube shaving. Just sudden, unexpected oh. pube shaving. Oh, don't I'm I telling you, man, if someone just showed up right now, like on the Israeli-Palestinian border, and started shaving their pubes. <laughs> World peace, right? Yeah. <laughs> like both sides would just be going, what the hell is that? <laughs> did, did you guys see that? Yeah, we gotta, gotta talk to the other side and work this out. What's going on here? <laughs> you know, why so, can't we be friends playing? Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, well, we talked a little bit. We talked about the roast battles. We talked about uh, you... Uh, uh, your SNL fandom, but how did you get into writing segments for the show? You've, you've co-written uh, weekend update segments with Pete Davidson, right? Yeah. And, and Dave Sirius, Dave Sirius is like, you know, his, his main writer. Um, and Dave yeah, Sirius. Yeah. We, we talked to him about uh, King of Staten Island. Okay. Yeah. He's great. He's, and, and so it's the, it's the three of us. Um, and, uh, I met him through the roasting world and I've just known Pete for a long time through stand up. but you know, Dave is such like a funny, unique mind. And, um, he's a guy like basically like, yeah, the way that I, I only worked on this last year's worth of update segments, but you know, we would just brainstorm. We would text each other back and forth, the three of us. And, mm-hmm. and then Dave has this amazing way of organizing it all into, yeah cohesive thoughts but we're just like we're just spitballing and throwing this thing and that thing and that thing and it's just a lot of fun i mean it's you know people often say it but like you know when your work doesn't feel like work like that's the definition of that it just feels like you're having fun with friends and then you know and then it's on the air and (laughs) tons of people are seeing it and it's cool Mm mm-hmm and yeah. and I guess since you were doing this over this last year, you were just you were only working remotely, right? Yeah, 
Yeah, I so I've never like that's the thing. It's like I'm you know I am not an SNL writer. Uh, I you know I guested on those segments, um, and that's awesome uh, because like I really respect and appreciate the grind of those writers, and I and I know a lot of those writers. I would never want to you know give myself that name or credit, but at at the same time, you know, seeing my name even in the credits at all was such a cool thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that, absolutely. that is very cool. That is a cool thing. And, uh, well, um, well, should we get into to Beverly Hills Ninja? Is there anything else we want to cover before we dive into the movie? Um, I don't think so. Well, I mean, did we hit on why you wanted to talk about this movie? Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Because <laughs> when I, when I asked you, I was like, you can you can pick any movie with an SNL alum, you know, and as long as it's not something that we've done or promised to somebody else, it's yours. And you immediately came back with Beverly Hills Ninja, which really surprised me. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, this 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 was my fourteenth birthday present. Uh, okay. My dad my dad took me to see this. Um, I know we're we're recording this on Father's Day. Uh, you know, my my dad uh, growing up to uh, a character for me and my brother. I was raised joint custody. One week I was at my mom's. One week I was at my dad's. My mom had a, a guy that she had recently married. So and, and and they had a kid. It was my sister, and so it was very much more like a typical family there. And then mm-hmm. at my dad's, it was me, my brother, and my dad. And. When I was like five, six, seven, my dad did this character called Fat Ninja. Ah, <laughs> and where he would take his shirt and 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 take it off and and put it over his head, and you know it was the goofiest thing, and it was so funny uh, to me. And then this movie came out, and it's like they did Fat Ninja the movie. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, they stole your idea. <laughs> and but it was like but it was also like you know we we watched SNL together a lot we 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 loved Chris Farley um also I was a big fan of the the first Mortal Kombat movie and uh-huh Lou motherfucking Kang is in this movie <laughs> Robin Shaw right. uh you know, I and, knew I knew him from somewhere, but I could not place him. <laughs> that's him, yeah. Okay, and the, and, right. and then um, you have Chris Rock, yeah, in a very different performance than what you often get from Chris Rock. It was not the Chris Rock performance I was expecting, and honestly, he was not in the movie as much as I was expecting. No, no, he's very much like on the side. Um, and, and and it's interesting because you know yeah I saw Tommy Boy in the theater I saw Black Sheep, um, and I and I read somewhere this is the only truly like solo Chris Farley movie where it was like he was the star he was advertised as the marquee player, um, you know because like you had almost heroes and that was him and Matthew Perry, who was at friends at the time. But like, this was like Farley as Farley being full Farley. And (laughs) this was like him at his height of uh, the popularity. And you know, this did, this came in nice. So this came out the year that he died. Uh, Yeah. It was 11 months before he died. Yeah. And I, I remember, 
you know, my me and my dad were going to go to the arcade, and we stopped at McDonald's, um, with, where I ended up working for seven and a half years, but that's a, <laughs> a different, sadder podcast. Um, <laughs> uh, what I'm saying is Chris Farley would have been a fan of mine, too. Um, you know what? I actually got McDonald's for breakfast this morning. <laughs> there you go. I, didn't, I didn't have anything uh, in, in the refrigerator. I'm overdue to go shopping, so and I didn't even think about the connection with you. Oh, nice. Uh, but but I remember finding out that, that Chris Farley passed. Like we were in, yeah, we were in, we were in the car eating McDonald's drive-through on our way to an arcade, and just like slowly like chewing Big Macs, and like like it was like the only celebrity death, like not the only, but one of the only that were like I I just like I started crying, yeah, because he was such a part of my childhood and like a connection to my father, I think. And, uh-huh. um, you know, and my dad's still alive. I, I, I see he's not dead, but, um, <laughs> I, I talk about him like he is sometimes because we're just <laughs> not as close as we used to be. I'm just, you know, getting older and all that. But, um, it's also, I'm just so nostalgic and have such fond memories of, of growing up with him. Um, mm-hmm. and, and Farley is kind of like our guy. And so right. yeah, seeing this movie, like I, I grew up, you know, and we're near where my mom lived, there was a budget theater. And so I would go to the budget theater a lot and see the dollar 50 movies. This one opening weekend, baby, this was a, <laughs> this was a $7 full on <laughs> like in soda. Like I said, this was my, my, my birthday present. We went to go see this, uh, me and my dad and I loved it at the time. Um, and it's amazing cause I'm able to, you know, I watched it again for the podcast. I hadn't seen it in a few years. Yeah. And you know, my snobby 38 year old comedy brain and whatever, like I could point out flaws and all that. And I'm, and I'm sure you guys will. <laughs> and, and, I, and I can too, but I'm able to immediately be, you know, 14 again and just, love this like you know the guy that eats the ratatouille at the end of ratatouille like mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> it, it, um my anton ego moment it immediately just makes me feel like joy watching this dumb dumb movie i i totally know what you mean like i i didn't watch this movie back in the day so i don't have the nostalgia for it that you, that you do i was just watching it cold for this and but i i know what you mean like watching like the Saturday morning cartoons I grew up on, like Super Friends or Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Yeah. Which I was watching in the early 80s. And then when I was watching them again in like my like 20s after I'd been to like art school and stuff. So I'm able to like intelligently critique the animation. And it's partly a nostalgia trip and partly like, how did this entertain me as a child? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because, you know, because everything evolves. It's like, yeah, I was nine years old when, Batman the animated series aired. Uh and I was 7 when the Simpsons came out. So I really I I was very lucky to have like the truly greatest cartoons at the perfect time to watch them when I was so impressionable and yeah, you know, and it's like and so then I, you know, I didn't see Super Friends until after I'd seen every Batman episode. <laughs> <laughs> 
So it's not going to hit you the same way, man. No. I mean, Super Friends is made to be watched when you're like six. Yeah, absolutely. But I did watch some Spider-Man and his amazing friends. I remember they reran that in like the the late 80s. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I had that VHS of the Seven Little Superheroes episode with the chameleon. And so I can watch that one and I'm just like in heaven. I can watch any other episode and I'm like, yeah, it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the seven superheroes one, that's amazing just because you're getting so much bang for your superhero buck. Exactly. Yeah, America, it is the best got, episode. Doctor Strange, you got Shana the She-Devil. Yeah. Uh, who, who else was Na- there? Namor. Namor. Yeah. Captain America. And then you're three. Yeah. And then, and then and then Ms. Lion, the seventh, the eighth superhero. Who saves them all, yeah. yeah. Spoiler. Oh. <laughs> Spoiler for a cartoon that came out in 1983. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> I was just about to watch. The the dog Aunt May's dog saves them all. The other spoiler alert: probably half the voice actors are dead. (laughs) (laughs) I I think it was like I think it was Paul Freese as the chameleon. So Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm pretty sure he is dead. Oh boy, Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, Beverly Hills Ninja. Let's talk about it. Uh, This movie uh, came out like we said, January seventeenth, nineteen ninety seven. Um, written by Mark Felberg and Mitch Klebanoff and directed by Dennis Dugan. And uh, Dennis Dugan, that name sounds familiar to you. That's because he's, I mean, he directed uh, Problem Child and a ton, a ton of Adam Sandler movies, including Happy Happy Gilmore, Big uh, Daddy. uh, He did, um, oh, uh, I Now Pronounce You Chuck and Larry. Yeah. He did uh, Don't Mess With the Zohan. Yeah. um, Benchwarmers. And Grown Ups 1 and 2, just go with it. And, of course, the seminal Jack and Jill. That's quite a pedigree there. He's uh, our generation's Kubrick. (laughs) (laughs) But, but you know, what's interesting. It's like you look at, like, uh, a lot of those movies. And, and, like, once you work in show business and all that, you see, like, if you're working with the same actor a lot or the same few actors a lot, it's like he probably is just, like, a really fun guy that like runs a good set like yeah because you you know people could say what they want about the, the quality of sandler films but like from all everything i've heard he's like a really nice dude and those movies are just fun to be a part of i'm sure that you know dugan helped that atmosphere yeah yeah right. and i mean you want to be with people you're comfortable with i mean it's not Life's too short to be with somebody that you think is a tremendous asshole, you know? Yeah, no. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of feel the same way about, like, uh, Tyler Perry films, where, like, I'm not wild about every Tyler Perry film, but from what I've heard, by all accounts, he's a good dude. He pays his actors well. He runs a great set. So, like, I can't, no, I can't fault him for that. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, yeah, I guess Dugan is the same way. So, uh, I mean... But, yeah, like, so when this film came out, like, I remember when this film coming out in, in 97, like, I thought it didn't do well. I thought it kind of bombed. But, like, I'm looking at the numbers. This thing had a budget of 18 mil, and it made 31.5 mil. So, like, I, I guess it, it did better than I, I thought it did. But, like, I, I guess... But that's like, still a bomb, right? Movies have to, like, double their profit to even break even because of I think it might be, like, three times what... Yeah, what it's insane. Like, when you factor in, like, advertising and all that. Oh, all right. So maybe it did. And, uh, yeah, and I just remember, like, the, the critics... The critics trash it, from what I remember. Like, I'm looking yes. at yeah. it now on Rotten Tomatoes, and it's at, like, 14%. I think that, that maybe that's why I thought it 
a bomb hotter than it did. Here's here's a few interesting things. Looking at the poster, the tagline, which is in larger letters than the movie itself, is Kung Fu. <laughs> uh, which, to me, in some ways, is a better title. Uh-huh. It's yeah. just in the sense that it doesn't, like... You know, part of the name Beverly Hills Ninja is it makes you think of Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah. And it is not that. <laughs> it is not. Like, it part of me... But maybe, but maybe they wanted to build that association with people. Yeah, <laughs> I think yeah, so. I mean, like, part of me thinks they came up with the title first and then just wrote the script around that. Yeah. Wasn't it... Didn't, didn't I read... This movie was originally written for somebody else, wasn't it? Uh, according I to I, I this on the IMDb trivia, like it was originally written for, yeah, it says it was originally written for Dana Carvey. Oh, wow. I can't imagine that. I can't imagine that version of that movie. That would have been very different. Yeah. I mean, and let's be honest, he would have gone like full on Asian voice. He, he he's the master of disguise. Ooh, like that old character he is. Yeah. Like, yeah. you can say what you want about this movie. Like, Farley's just Farley for the most part. Yeah. But I think that Carvey would have, like, really... Uh, uh, it would have it aged oh. worse than this one. Yeah. I think you're probably right there. I think you're right there. It would be like, uh, like Mickey Rooney and Breakfast to Tiffany's type? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think so. I, it, just my guess. My guess on the, the time and... And, and and Carvey and his, you know, uh, skill set, as it were. <laughs> he does he, voices. He would have gone full chicken make lousy house pet. I think, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but also, you know, uh, Darren, you were bringing up the critics. Like, because I, I was looking up, you know, critic thoughts on, um, you know, Farley in general. And it just, this is all you have to say is. Roger Ebert gave Tommy Boy one star. And uh-huh. so if that's getting one star, well, we're all screwed <laughs> for any other <laughs> Farley movie. Because, I mean, I, you know, basically, like, Tommy Boy is comedy Shawshank. Uh, it's on all the time. And you will watch at least a commercials uh, break of it uh, if it's on, right? It's like. Yeah. Yeah, we did it, an episode of that yeah. a while ago. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think. Yeah. At, I mean, I think at the time, yeah, critics really didn't get Farley. They just, they just like, I don't. How is this funny? It's just a big, large, loud man crashing into walls all the time. That's that's the height of comedy. It's it's the same way. Like critics, I remember trashed uh, Ace Ventura when it first came out. Like I remember, like I think even Rar- Ebert and uh, Siskel gave gave it two thumbs down. The movie, and that's like, I mean, at the time when I saw it, I thought that was like one of the most funniest movies I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, the truth is a lot of these movies have, like, uh, proven those critics wrong. Like, they have become classics, you know, like Happy Gilmore and Billy Madison and all that. It's it's also, it's so funny, all the people that shat on those, like, early Sandler movies, it's like, just wait, okay? Like, we're in the prime now. You should enjoy these ones. <laughs> <laughs> Jack and Jill is coming, people. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I just, yeah, it's so interesting because it's like, you know, this goes back to the joint custody thing. My mom would read critic reviews, and I remember, like, I wanted to go see Biodome with my friends, and she's like, you're not seeing that. 
I'm like, it's mm-hmm. PG 13. She's like, yeah, but it got half a star. <laughs> <laughs> so she, she's a movie snob. Yeah. And, and of course it's like, you know, I was the age of like, I just, I just want one entertains me and this entertains me. And, the fact that my dad, you know, would take me to these things and my mom was like, you shouldn't go. It's like, well, who do you think I'm going to bond with more emotionally? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a, I'm a 13, you know, 14 year old kid. Like, you know, but my, my, I think my, my 13 year old uh, movie present was we went to the drive, uh, the drive in to see half baked. And I just remember my dad having to roll up the window. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so the, the secondhand smoke didn't. Yeah, <laughs> and then this was the next year because I, I was January fourteenth, and yeah, you said this came out the seventeenth. So it's like, I think we're like we're going to Red Lobster and watching Beverly Hills Ninja. Fuck yeah, that's right. <laughs> you, know, you know what I just remembered? My thirteenth uh, birthday movie was uh, Howard the Duck. <laughs> The first Marvel movie. I saw Howard the Duck on my 13th birthday because it was like 1985, I think. Or maybe it was 86. Because I I think it came out after Back to the Future. Like, Leia Thompson went from Howard the Duck to... From Back to the Future to Howard the Duck in the space of one year. Wow. Yeah, so I'll say, you know, my my positives about this movie still, like, like, looking at it now, I do think Farley is a joy to watch on screen. Like, if, if there was one negative mm-hmm. overall of this movie, it's that the humor gets repetitive. Fatty falls down a lot. Yes. But there's an earnestness to him. Like, I, I read the, the Chris Farley show, you know, the, the, the biography about him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of his friends talk about how those segments, you know, the Chris Farley show where he would interview, you know, was it McCartney and Jeff Daniels and stuff like that's right. the real Farley, you know, that, that was awesome. Like right. that earnest, like childlike nature, like that's on full display here, even more than in other movies. And there is a charm to it. Like he is fun to watch. And he does have that charisma. And like something I really noticed watching the movie is yeah, there is a lot of there are a lot of jokes about Fatty falls down, but there's also moments where he's he's very nimble and graceful, and he does he does some of his own stunts in this. Yeah, I mean, I think that's where his his love of uh, John Belushi comes from. Where you know he because John Belushi had the same thing where he was he was a, he was a chubbier, portlier man, but he was quick on his toes. Like he had that like you know Jack Jack Black like they're they mm-hmm. look kind of round, but then they they can they can move. Yeah. But it's interesting because it's like, like the whole thing with him and like Nicolette Sheridan in this movie. <laughs> it's like she's like this full-grown woman, and he's like this boy. Like it doesn't, it doesn't even feel like that sexual. You know, like no. I, I think a lot of other stars where it's like, all right, I'm gonna save the girl so I can get her in the end. It's like he just wants to help. Like there's like. Yeah. He's a bit of a man-child. Oh, absolutely. And um, because, well, one way, it's like, it's funny, too, because this movie really is, like, all about how, you know, (laughs) nurture means nothing. It's all about nature in a Mm -hmm. lot of ways because, like, you know, he's raised by these ninjas on this ninja island since birth. (laughs) 
but he still is, you know, Chris Farley. Like he still is. Like he does. He doesn't have an accent. He doesn't have, even though like he's been raised since a baby, because like he's shipwrecked on this island. Right. And yeah, and and there's this whole prophecy that he's going that there's going to be a great white ninja. But they never really pay that off. They they say like, well, maybe he was, but we don't know. Yeah, the, I thought that would be like a big thing. Then like like something like at the very end, like there would be like this big white light on him, and you know, some people would be like, he is the great white. But you know, like like Neo in the Matrix. But that mm-hmm. never really happens. I I thought it kind of did. Kinda, yeah. yeah. I, I thought well, you know, it was just like here's the action finale and. You know, it's, I mean, the thing is, is that, like, I think, you know, a a part of the problem here is you have a full comedic director and not, like, an action comedy director, so yeah, the action is kind of unspectacular, like, you know, the, the, the main villain's henchman is built up the entire time as this, like, real badass, and then the way that he gets defeated is just him and another dude just, you know kick each other yeah <laughs> both, right. like they, they both do a jump kick in the and and our two heroes duck and that's yeah, and it like, and they end up like scissoring each other or something like that yeah, yeah. Like, it's like, they, their crotches <laughs> slam into each other and then that's their defeat yes and when you're when you're watching it there's that part of you that's like I'm waiting for like the raid to happen. Like I'm just uh-huh. waiting for like the most ultra violent <laughs> because the dude's been built up so much, and it's like, oh no, but it's a comedy. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, yeah. So, so for those that never seen the movie, it basically uh, starts off like we said, where um, a baby washes up on the shore of, uh, I believe it starts in Japan, where this island of all these super secret ninjas are. They find the baby. It's a you know young Chris Farley. And they raise and train the baby as their own. And, but, you know, of course, it's Farley, so he's big and goofy. And, you know, he hits people with sticks all the time. But he's very lovable right. and he has a big heart. So people, you know, so, so people take to him. Like, they, they, he's like the big lovable dude. And, and he's got his big brother, uh, Gobe. Am I saying that right? Uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Gobe, who's a big brother who's, who's like the master ninja, uh, who's, who's also, who's played by Robert. Uh, Robin Shu from the Mortal Kombat movie. Yep. Mortal Kombat. <laughs> and and he's, he just has spectacular hair. I was just fixating on oh. his hair for most of the movie. Yeah, and, a, and a great and a great recurring joke that he's, you know, even more than Dana Carvey, a master of disguise. Yes. And that <laughs> he's 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 trailing uh Haru the entire time. And um, always in disguise, and and I actually think that the slapstick comedy that happens to him, yeah, is is, is funnier. Like when Farley is doing something that hurts Robin Shaw, it's funnier than when Farley's hurting himself sometimes. Yeah, because Shaw is so good at looking frustrated. It's <laughs> he's he a great straight man. Well, yeah. Like like a gag, a visual gag I really liked was like right after Haru, Chris Farley's character, arrives in America. Like he he flies in at the airport, and then we see the baggage claim, and then this this black round thing tumbles out <laughs> on the baggage claim, and then it's it's uh, 
Gobei, <laughs> and it's, he just sort of unfolds himself, and he's like, <laughs> and I was like, okay, you got me there. And just imagining that, like, he was in the plane for like this was what Japan to Beverly Hills. How long is that? Is that twelve hours? Is that? <laughs> it has to be. I didn't. I haven't looked up how long of a flight that is. <laughs> and Let me he's see just if I can like, because he's so committed to being a ninja. <laughs> Yeah. And that couldn't have been a direct flight. That has to be a layover somewhere. <laughs> uh, let's see. It looks like that. Well, if they were coming from Tokyo, it'd be 10 hours, 15 minutes from Osaka, 13, 15 from Nyoga, uh, 16 hours. So, And from vaguely 1997 movie Japan. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Let's say twelve hours <laughs> from some vaguely defined area in. We're assuming around Japan. Oh wow! He's so. also he was also in the Legend of Chun Li as as uh, Jen. Uh, so he both in Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter movies. This the Robin Show. Wow! He does it all. That's the dream, man. That's like doing a Marvel and a DC movie. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, like one of my favorite parts of this movie, I don't know why it got a kick, a kick out of me. Is um, so as the movie goes on, we see that uh, Haru isn't, you know, he's not as good as his brothers, but you know, they still love him, but he just doesn't have what it takes to be a ninja. And uh, so then there's one day where all the ninjas leave the dojo to go on an assignment, and Haru is just left there by himself. And then uh, Nicolette Sheraton, our, our, our lady of the movie mm -hmm. walks in and says, hi, uh, I was told I could find ninjas here. I don't know. Yeah. Why. <laughs> it's like, there's something about that. That just makes me funny. It's like, cause like I thought ninjas were supposed to be all super, super secretive and you know, weren't supposed to be able to find them. And she's no, just apparently like, they're in the phone book. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that later. <laughs> phone book thing. Yeah, is this just Ninja Island? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's and like there's no explanation to how she got there. She just like literally shows up at the door. She's like, "I was told there'd be ninjas here." Yeah, it's like walking to like a secret headquarters of a, like a secret, you know, top secret agency, and be like, "Hi, I, I was told there'd be spies here. I'm looking for a spy, please." <laughs> yeah. Well, she was in Spy Hard, so oh, oh no. so she has a pedigree. Yeah, this is this is how I knew. I, I know that Nicholas Sheridan was in a lot of different things, but. You know, to me, it, she was like in Knott's Landing and stuff, but like Spy Hard, Beverly Hills Ninja, you are in the Mike Lawrence pantheon of actors. <laughs> That's the one-two punch. Yeah. Um, did, did you like watch De uh, Desperate Housewives for a while just because Nicolette Sheridan was in it? I did not. Ooh. <laughs> because Leslie well, Nielsen and Chris Farley were not. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Okay, so now we know your limits. <laughs> It would be amazing if, like, her, it was the same character. Like, like she moved to Wisteria Lane from Beverly Hills. <laughs> that, would be, that would be great. And she just had this romance with Chris Farley's character in her backstory. Yes. <laughs> in the Beverly Hills ninja universe. To be... Yeah. Yeah, this full, this full white but thinks it's half Asian, baby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy, yeah. This movie kind of—I don't know why it kind of reminded me of like Kung Fu Panda a little bit too. The like the setup of it. I don't know if Kung Fu Panda took the idea from this movie to make it, but I don't know. I got big Kung Fu Panda vibes from it. No, there's some of that, and then it's also you know, like Farley was going to be Shrek, right? Yes, yes. Death. There's some of 
Shrek in this performance. I can see that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I could, I could definitely see that. Uh, yeah, so as the movie goes on, we see that Nicolette Sheraton's character, who calls herself Sally Jones, is looking for a ninja to trail her uh, boyfriend because he's up to no good, she feels. And right. and then I wrote down, oh, she, she went to a ninja? Wouldn't like a private eye be easier to find or a detective? But I was like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll go with this. Um, what are you going to do, Beverly Hills Detective? Nobody <laughs> wants to see that movie. <laughs> That's been done to death. Like some guy running around Beverly Hills investigating crimes, and it's like cast with somebody from Saturday Night Live. That that'll never be a movie. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Well, yeah, that, that makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense. So, uh, so then Haru decides to take on the case himself. He follows her boyfriend. Turns out he's like um, he, he's dealing in uh, he's making uh, what's it called counterfeit money. Yep. And uh, the, you know, of course, it's a deal down by the docks because there's always deals going down by the. By the docks, uh, you know, there's a deal that goes wrong. The boyfriend ends up murdering somebody, shoots him, and Haru kind of gets framed for it. And uh, the guys get away. The cops are looking for Haru, but he's able to, you know, hide in a, a dumpster full of, I guess, shrimp or old, old seafood, and uh, make his way back to the dojo. And then he he tells his sensei, sensei, I I have to go save this woman that told that put me on this uh, path and. I have to go to Beverly Hills to protect her. And that's that's where our movie mm-hmm. takes off. And, of yeah. course, uh, the sensei tells Gobei to follow him, like, you know, discreetly. Yes. Yeah, and, and he fears that uh, Haru is being led around by his short sword, which mm-hmm. I, I like the way they phrased that. <laughs> <laughs> the guy um, the guy who plays uh, the, the dad, really great. Mm-hmm. Really fun. Um, he, he's great at being frustrated. He's great at like being loving. Like you could, you know, in terms of fathers, that like he's a great dad. Yeah, because he never give he never gives up on him. Yeah, no, he he is supporting his son throughout the movie. Uh, that is that is definitely true. He he is a very supportive dad. Uh, and Tech O was the was was the uh, the actor, uh, and his, the name of his character is just Sensei. Yeah. Yeah, they never gave him a name. Yeah, that's enough. Uh, but what's amazing so, is when you when you look him up on Wikipedia, the picture uh-huh. that shows up is him as Sensei in Beverly Hills Ninja. Oh, is it really? Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's cool. <laughs> All right. uh, yeah. So then, um, Haru lands in Beverly Hills. Uh, we, of course, we hear uh, turning Japanese playing in the background, and and. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is a movie with with two different versions of kung fu fighting. So, yes. the fact there's only one version of turning Japanese, like we got lucky. Yeah, I think I texted uh, John Trumbull that, like, if you're making yeah. a co- any kind, any type of comedy, and there's some type of martial arts in that comedy, you have to have kung fu fighting in that in that movie, like you by like by, like by law, the cops will yeah. come come for you if you don't. Yeah. Uh, so we, we see Haru renting a car and, uh, we quickly see he does not know how to drive a car, but he's, so he's like kind of swerves on the road everywhere and almost, right. he almost hits, uh, Larry from Three's Company who's driving by him. Th- that was a very random cameo. <laughs> yes. We, we suddenly see Richard Klein <laughs> driving the other car. I, I, I want to, I want to know the story of how that happened. 
It, it's not a random cameo if they just need the money. Yeah, I guess I guess if Richard Klein was hurting for money that month, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I I actually have a weird connection with Richard Klein. He was actually uh, like an ex girlfriend of mine. Actually, took an acting class with him. Oh, uh, once upon a time. <laughs> yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, and uh, yeah, she he's like Facebook friends with her. I see her. I, I've seen him like comment on her Facebook posts occasionally, and it's like. There's Larry from Three's Company. That's so weird. Time to get time to get him on the podcast. It sounds like to me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, Haru drives up to the hotel. Uh, then there is this one running gag that they do that I do kind of like, where like every time he enters the hotel, he takes off his shoes, you know, like he would in a dojo. And then mm-hmm. we, you know, then later on we see the you know, the janitor cleaning up outside the hotel, always like sweeping up his shoes and. You're like, who's leaving these shoes out here? Like, I, 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 I kind of dug that. I, I kind of wish that there was a, like a little more payoff to that running gag. Like he, he like catches the guy taking his shoes and beats him up or something. I, mm. I was expecting that like a little more payoff to that than something more than just oh they're taking his shoes because he doesn't know he doesn't have to take them off. I liked it. I, I like the subtlety of it in a, in a uh-huh. movie where most of the jokes aren't. You know, almost every joke is like a fart in your face. This was like, yeah. you oh. know, a fart in the elevator. You had to like <laughs> notice it. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it's SPD. Yeah. yeah. And at the Beverly Hills uh, hotel that he's staying at, uh, we got Chris Rock as Joey Washington, who's a bellboy at the hotel. And he's, Chris Rock is immediately impressed with Chris Farley's ninja skills. And Chris Farley agrees to train Joey and if he aids him in this mission. And then Chris Rock just basically disappears for the movie for like a long stretch of it. Yeah, kind of. He kind of, he pops in and out. He's not like super consistent. But uh, yeah, it's good to see Chris Rock in, in this film. It's like, oh yeah. Because I, I, I think, like, I mean, throughout this movie, like it is, it is a Chris Farley movie. He's like the only sort of comedic person in the whole thing. Everybody else is kind of playing it pretty straight. So to have yeah. somebody else with some comedy chops to for him to sort of bounce off of, I think helps uh, with the movie a little bit too. Yeah. I guess I wanted it to be like a bit more of a buddy movie or something. I, I would have liked a little more Chris Rock. No, and especially fair. more more Chris Rock interacting with Chris Farley. Yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, Chris on Chris. Yeah, I, yeah. I think it was like we weren't, we were just not going to get like that co-starring Farley Rock mm-hmm. movie yeah. in this, but I kind of wish we did because they do have great chemistry together. And I, I, like I said, like this was like an uncharacteristic Chris Rock performance where you know Farley's basically a child, but somehow the character Joey is even more childlike than Haru. Yeah. <laughs> Because the whole thing is that he's the one person that truly believes in everything and and sees Haru as a legend from the beginning. Uh-huh. Yeah. And absolutely. uh it's it's kinda it's kinda it's kind of adorable their their relationship in this. And and from everything I've ever read, they were really great friends in real life. I think they were office mates for a while yeah they shared an office at at snl there's a there's a quote on the back of uh the live from new york oral history book where 
Chris Rock is like two dudes the same age, both named Chris, one from run one from Bedford Stuy and one from uh, Wisconsin. Where, uh, yeah, Wisconsin. And he was like, "Okay, which one's gonna OD?" <laughs> Damn. And and just like him putting it that plainly you're just like oh yeah <laughs> and uh i mean according to also according to imdb um according to the producer bradley jenkel uh chris farley demanded that chris rock co-star in the movie and he said he wouldn't do the movie without him see that's nice he's got his buddies back i like that yeah i dig it i dig it uh yeah. it felt like they only had chris rock for like three days or whatever but yeah, he's. I mean, we could have used a little bit more rock, but the the yeah. rock that we get, I think it's okay. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Oh yeah. So uh, we we see Haru trying to sort of track down Sally Jones, um, and we see that. Uh, uh, I think they find he does find her, but like kind kind of he kind of stumbles into finding her. Like it's basically right. like Go Bay kind of doing things to kind of push him into her direction, like. I've noticed that throughout the movie where, like, uh, Gobei was always hiding, but he was also kind of making sure Haru is okay and sort of navigating his way to safety and to solving the crime. I don't know. It, it reminded me of – you guys remember uh, Inspector Gadget? Sure. It reminded yeah. me of that a little bit where, like, Inspector Gadget is kind of fumbling towards saving, solving the crime, but, like, Penny and the Brain are kind of helping him along the way without him knowing it. Yeah. Yeah, there was yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so Haru finally finds um, Sally Jones. Sally's kind of shocked to see him. Um, she, you know, she says she doesn't need to be saved, and um, but and I think that he also tries to find um, her boyfriend, who's a counterfeiter, uh, Martin Tanley. Yeah, and or Tanley Martin. Tanley Martin. Okay, that's Martin Tanley. Martin Tanley, right? That's what I thought. Okay. Oh yeah. No, I, that was my note about him being in the phone book. Sorry. All oh, right, right. Wow. No, <laughs> we'll get to that. He's not a very memorable villain, so I was getting mixed up. Yeah, you know, no, and the amount that you have to know about counterfeiting and plates, it like it was interesting. Like, it made me think of of trading places. Like, I mean, comedy comedy uh, writers really thought audiences were smarter than they actually were. <laughs> yeah. Oh, very much. so much about like the stock market and trading in, in Beverly Hills, and then this is all about we only have one side of the plates, and this and that. I'm like, yeah. oh, okay. Well, I mean, that I got. I still don't entirely understand the ending of trading places and what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I get that they they tricked the Duke brothers into like selling high when they should be. Sell- I, I still can't even yeah. explain it. And we've covered that movie. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like I watched the Big Short, and I still don't get it. <laughs> Hence my poverty. Not, not even when Margot Rob- Robbie in a, in a bathtub explains it to me. Do I get that? No. Yeah, and, and I knew you covered that movie. Hence, I picked this one. Oh, <laughs> nice. Okay. You uh, did your research, sir. Yeah, well played, sir. Well played. So then we have the scene where Haru follows Martin into a, a strip club, where because he's doing some big deal and something's going to go down. Of course, all the big illegal deals go down in uh, strip clubs. Right. But it's, but it's a PG 13 movie. So it's a PG 13 strip club. Right. Exactly. So no one ever actually takes off their clothes. They just sort of dance around. And they're dancing to ZZ top. Yes. But but no one is easy topless. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) Oh. 
<laughs> you were waiting for that one. <laughs> I wasn't. That's how my autism works. <laughs> uh, that's, just, that's just gold that came to you in the moment. I love it. Right. And uh, so, of course, there's a scene where I think Haru sees, I guess he sees, you know, boobs for the first time. and He can't control himself. And he just, like, ends up dancing on stage like a wild man. Right. And rips off his shirt. You know, as, as you do. Yeah. Uh, well, so while he's doing that, the Martin Taylor's going down with the deal. Uh, behind the scenes, there's a big shootout. Uh, two people got killed, and uh, Haru gets he's, kind of framed for murder again. That's right. So that that is now three murders that he is being blamed for. Yeah, and I also like how like the reporters, the news reporters, report on it, saying, "Oh, there's this shootout that's been gone down," and people are saying, uh, "It's all the fault of a of a ninja," and it's the same ninja that was involved in Japan uh, months ago. Right. <laughs> yeah. There's an Interpol bulletin out on him. <laughs> Be on the lookout for a ninja. Right. Oh, uh, yeah. So, um, but Haru is able to make his way back to the hotel. Uh, there, we see this one scene where Chris Rock is uh, chasing a chicken around. I guess it's part mm-hmm. of his training. And, of course, uh, we have Haru saying, keep practicing, Joey. Someday you will choke that chicken. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh- it's not exactly like grabbing the pedible out of the hand in Kung Fu. No, not, not quite. Not quite. Now, now, now Darren, uh, it sounded like you had a, a little bit of shame when you said that joke. Would you Would you have felt more disappointed if they didn't make that joke? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I, you, you pro- I think you're right. Because like, it's also, you have to, that's the thing when you, when you think of like movies, you know, or TV, like, the joke on its own is just like a dumb choking chicken joke, but they had to get like an animal wildlife person on set to watch the chicken. They had to get the chicken. <laughs> they had to, Someone to mother it to make sure the chicken was never harmed. Yeah, they had to shoot multiple takes of Chris Rock chasing it. <laughs> and maybe they didn't get all the, the, the shots they needed, so they had to have Chris Rock's double chase the chicken around for a while. <laughs> We gotta get this choking chicken joke in here. And you know Chris Farley's doubles are just his brothers who are also uh, in the movie as cops. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, John and Kevin. Yes. Yep. Or is it Doug? I thought it was John. Is it Doug? Uh, it says it on the uh, IMDb trivia page. Let me. Uh, it says Kevin and John here. Right. Yeah. Ah. Uh huh. I definitely recognize Kevin. I saw Kevin for sure. Yeah. Yeah. They they appear as cops right before Chris disappears behind the cloud of smoke. So I I met Kevin once, one of the the nicest dudes. Yeah, he seems like oh, a solid nice. dude. I've heard nothing but good things about him. Uh, so yeah. So then we keep going with the with the with the movie. Uh, I think at one point, uh, Haru is looking to his sensei for guidance, so he does the uh, celestial plane thing that kind of goes on throughout the movie, where he's able to. Send his spirit onto a another plane of uh, of enlightenment, where he's able to talk to his sensei about like how to find uh, Martin and solve this uh, this big uh, caper, this big case he's on. And that's yeah. when his sensei was like, "Well, if you're having trouble finding the guy, why don't you look in the phone book?" And sure enough, a criminal's name and address is in the phone book. Well, because he's you know he's like a '80s style. Respectable criminal. 
that you had in, like, uh, say, the Beverly Hills Cop movies. Oh, I love, uh, you know, as, as as Doctor Strange fans call it, astral projection. I love those scenes. Uh-huh. The it, I think that's some of the better, like, slapstick where F- Farley's just floating around. Yeah, he's like a great American hero up there, just flailing about. Yeah, but then they always do this gag where when he comes back into his own body, he goes flying. <laughs> yeah. It's genuinely funny to me. Yeah, just crashing yeah. through stuff. Yeah. Yeah, because he doesn't have quite the hang of it yet. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so, so, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, so um, he's able to find the house in the, uh, the address, rather, in the phone book. He goes over there with, of course, Go Bay. Uh, following him, uh, you know, wackiness ensues. A lot of uh, grappling hook mishaps. Uh, of course, <laughs> you know, attack dogs, and mm-hmm. um, you know, and we have Haru sort of crashing and falling his way into um, uh, Sally Jones's room, who is actually her name. We find out her name is actually uh, Allison Page because right. she's undercover because you know she doesn't really love her boyfriend, but her boyfriend was. Used to date his her sister and something. Her happened. sister Carla mysteriously died three months ago, so she's trying to get to the bottom of that. Right, she's undercover. Right. Uh, again, again, the backstory is maybe a little more complex than this movie needs it to be. Yeah, just a little bit. But uh, well, yeah, it's like I mean, because yeah, at times it's like there's subterfuge and there's counterfeit plates, but other times there's like. Just a ninja island anyone can show up to and astral projections. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. And I also like the part where, um, where so, like, when, when they're trying to figure out where uh, Martin will be next so they can, you know, uh, you know get him, they, I think Haru finds out where his next appointment is going to be at in, a, in his date book that he yes. just happened to find there. I was like, Pretty convenient. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and so that and that leads to a sequence where Haru goes undercover in a hibachi restaurant, and he's he's undercover as the hibachi chef, and he's trying to do all the tricks, and of course he he flings a, a piece of shrimp down the front of a lady's dress. Ha ha! Boobies. I love it. <laughs> okay, love it. this is the. the uh... Every few minute reminder, I saw this when I was 14 years old. Okay. <laughs> was made for me. No, dude, dude, try, I, I, we're, not, we're not here to shame. I, I get it. Like, I still remember. Like, we are not judging. When, I mean, when you are 14, shrimp going down the front of a lady's dress, that is the height of eroticism. Oh. And comedy. <laughs> and comedy. Uh, those two merging together. It's boyoing and boyoing, <laughs> forming a lovely sex comedy sandwich. Yeah, it's uh, two great tastes that taste great together. Uh, a Venn diagram that starts queefing. <laughs> yeah, it's no lie. Um, so then we have this. Then we have this big uh, shootout scene because I guess the rival gang is trying to take out Martin while he's there for what they did for what he did at the strip club. And then there's this big shootout. Um, of course, we, mm-hmm. we see Gobei there, undercover, dressed as a woman, uh, taking out yeah. some people. Uh, and I will admit, I did get a big laugh out of the part where um, Haru's dressed as a, as a chef. 
and he's fighting somebody, and he whips out these gigantic fish out of nowhere, and he starts like you know flailing them about and slapping a guy with it. Like, yeah, he's he's using the the giant fishes nunchucks, which I, it's a great visual. I wish they'd done like a little more like that. Uh, that that was really cool. Yeah, because those like it's just funny. Like he just like kind of grabs these. You don't know what he's going to grab, but it's like in this little cart, and it turned out to be like literally a two fish as big as him. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, wow. All right, now we got a movie. <laughs> uh, but yeah, then, so then we. Ha- what was we had to we had to say that this movie exceeded expectations by not having Farley bite into the fish, hit somebody, and then bite into it again. So like you he's know? yeah, they didn't. They he's didn't fatty, go with and fatty joking. falls down, but fatty don't yeah. eat all the time. Right. <laughs> he doesn't know. Yeah, they, they could have gone that way with it, but they didn't make a whole lot of appetite jokes that I can recall. Well, they did that. Did they do that one where um, earlier in the movie when he was training and they was putting his, you know, everybody was putting their fist over hot coals. And then. We, oh, yes. And, yeah. And then we see Haru's hot coals and he has like shish kebabs on them. Yeah. Like, oh, look at him. Big man likes to eat. I, I like that visual, though. That that was all right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that was, like, visual. It's so cartoony that I was like, uh, I like it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so then we have... So while all that the, the huge fight goes down, Haru is able to escape with Allison. Um, mm-hmm. They, you know, they make their escape away from Martin, and then Haru takes uh, her to his hotel room where she'll be safe, and, of course, that's where that's when things get sexy. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we see the Haru's... Growing attraction to Sally slash Allison, and it's like, oh, you know, we we should we should turn in for the night. Should we take the? Uh, do you want to take the bed or the couch? And yeah, yeah, like uh, I, uh, I mean, there's not. I don't think there was too much to that scene, but yeah, we do see the silhouette of Nicolette Sheridan taking off her uh, her clothes. With, you know, of course, fourteen year old you know boy yo 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 yoing as we earlier discussed. And then quickly followed by the silhouette of of Chris Farley taking off his clothes. Yes, it, boy. This was a bad joke. This was literally just he's fat. Yeah, <laughs> get it? Yeah, there, there wasn't really anything more to it than that. No, no. he's fat. That's funny. <laughs> fat naked man. That's that's uh, funny. Fat, fat, fat. Yeah. He also has tits. <laughs> <laughs> What's his cup size? <laughs> Uh, so we wake up the next morning and we see Haru and Allison going to the ink specialist that uh, Martin has been dealing with. And they, they want to interrogate him and for information to find out where Martin's going to be next. And uh, we get uh, we get the, they meet his ink specialist, uh, played by Will Sasso, who I've always thought he was like really underrated. I've always enjoyed Will Sasso's stuff. Yeah. This, um, this is a huge moment. He uncredited for this, too. This is a big moment. This is two of the best late '90s fatties. This is a crossover, man. This is this is this is big because this is Mad TV and, and SNL. SNL. Yeah, mm. and 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 Sasso was really great on on Mad TV. Um, yeah, he uh, the there's this birth control pilgrim sketch. I don't know if you've ever seen it. Where I don't think so. He, no, I've seen very little Matt TV, honestly. Oh, some of it is great. Uh, the yeah. first few years, especially, 
you know, Deborah Wilson is so mm-hmm. fucking funny and talented. And I don't, I mean, SNL, especially in the nineties did not utilize the black woman, the way that bad TV mm-hmm. <laughs> did with Deborah Wilson, where she was in so many sketches and, and so funny in them. Um, uh, there, there's a lot of great stuff there. Their tape pieces mm-hmm. back then were great, but, um, but Sasso played this character. It was a commercial where he's just like a prospector, like I mean, not a prospector, but like a, like a pilgrim, and he's just yelling at like, you know, in like 1690s speak, like about why sex is bad, <laughs> and it's <laughs> and, the, and the thing too, it's like you know, I'm I, I'm 265 pounds myself, so when I say fatty, I'm also talking about myself, but like. Sasso at this time was like 400. He was bigger than Farley. Wow. Damn. He was, he was a big dude. There's a sketch with him and Bret Hart where Bret Hart has to like pick him up. And it is not easy for Bret Hart. (laughs) (laughs) Bret Hart's Uh, like, Oh, my back. And and he he was great. Yeah. He, He did a Kenny Rogers impression at this time, which was literally just, I'm Kenny Rogers. Um, (laughs) Where he did a thing. Like, I was like, I'm I always... remember... Oh, sorry, go on. Well, no, I was going to say, like, I remember, like, Will Sasso did a really good, uh, like, James Gandolfini impression when they, when they were doing Soprano sketches, too. Yeah, exactly. A great impressionist. It's still a really funny guy. Um, but, yeah, it's it's just so... Like, I'm always that school of impressions of... I, and I know you guys are, are Jersey guys, but I go Hartman over Piscopo when it comes to uh, Sinatra impressions. I'd rather the thing be funny than accurate. How can you not go Hartman over Piscopo? Yeah. No, we are Piscopo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. no, we are diehard. We are diehard Phil Hartman fans over here. So we. Oh, we agree. yeah. No. It, it, it's it's the most jarring thing in that live from New York book that I, I think you were talking about earlier, uh, yeah. John. Um, when they're eulogizing Hartman, and then just in the middle of it, Piscopo's like, but his impression was never approved by the estate like mine was. And it's like, yeah, yeah but his was great. It, it, was, yeah. it, was, it was a caricature. It wasn't a character. And it's like, that's what comedy is often. And so, yeah, I love it. Yeah, yeah, that is a that is a weird jarring quote where he's like, "Yeah, I still do personal appearances as Frank with the cooperation of the family." And I'm like, "Okay, well that sounds like you're just doing like a Beatlemania thing." Yeah, his, his biggest thing in the 80s was Frank Sinatra and his biggest thing in the 90s was voicing Frank Sinatra in those Lipton iced tea commercials. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. I forgot he did oh, that. Oh yeah. That's risk, baby. <laughs> And there was a little claymation Frank Sinatra. Yeah, yeah. it was like pre-celebrity deathmatch, I think. <laughs> oh, God, I want to look that up on YouTube right now. <laughs> oh, man, dude, let's do it. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I agree with you, Mike. Like, I thought Will Sasso should have been, like, a bigger star. Uh, Will Sasso, uh, Deborah Wilson, and, you know, I'll throw Nicole Sullivan in there, too. I thought they were, like, yeah, fantastic on Matt TV. Like I was like, oh, this should have been like bigger, but I don't know. Yeah, she was uh, great. I, I'm a, I'm a big Artie Lang fan. Yeah, of course he's. Mm-hmm. Or, or what? You had Phil Lamar. Phil uh, Lamar, gotta give Phil Lamar a shout out. I mean, I I got to interview Phil Lamar like a year or two ago for uh, for a book I'm working on, and yeah, very nice guy. Orlando like, Jones, like they. Orlando I mean, Jones. that, that Peel started on that show. David Herman, yeah, that cast was stacked. 
Patton Oswalt wrote for it. Yeah. And uh, I, I think Blaine Kapatch, too. Yeah. Blaine Kapatch still occasionally on Twitter is like, somebody bring back Mad TV so I can pitch this sketch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just think people kind of saw Mad TV as like the poor man's SNL. And it, it never got the props it deserved. But like, the, you can't deny the talent was there. But it was also the poor man's SNL when SNL was running out of money. You know, it's not yeah. like SNL was rich at the time. Right, right. Yeah, it's right. Well, but also, they made more of a go of it than any other of those SNL rival shows. I mean, Mad TV, it ran for what? At least a decade, right? Yeah, it lasted longer than Fridays. It was yeah, 14, well, most things did. 14 <laughs> years in its original run. Oh, yeah. my God. Yeah. I mean, that's a respectable run. Yeah. Yeah. Particularly when you're going up against us now. Yeah, like I remember... Sasso is fun in this movie. Like, he's not in it Mm -hmm. for long. And then you get to see Farley being Sasso. Right. This is huge for comedy nerds. Yeah, because Farley, he like... He he gets the information from Sasso using this thing called the Laughing Mushroom. Mm -hmm. And basically drugging him. And then also drugging himself and Nicolette Sheridan in the process. So they're all cracking up. Like she brings up her dead sister at one point, and it's it's hilarious. <laughs> so he he takes Will Sasso's place, and he's got like a fake mustache and a wig happening, so he looks like Will Sasso's character, and he goes undercover at the bad guy's big headquarters. Right, and then um, yeah, so it's 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 all of them at the headquarters, and of course, Gobe is still following at one point uh, because Will Sasso character has like a mustache. And mm-hmm. so Haru has to put on a fake mustache, and at one point his mustache comes off, and then like Go yeah. Be- Go is able to like slingshot the mustache back onto his face before the bad guys yeah. notice. He throws it like a ninja star, right? <laughs> yeah, because he's just that good of a ninja. He's very good. <laughs> yeah, and he, and he is able to do it before the bad guys notice that Farley's mustache is missing. So. Right, but then uh, I think I think somehow though the the Tanley is on to him, and he he finds out that Haru is, it's actually is Haru, and it's not Will Sasso's character. And um, I think yeah, but before he's able to execute take him out, I think that's when like uh, Gobe helps him and saves him. Uh, Tanley mm-hmm. makes another escape, but then the cops come, and that's when we see John and uh, Kevin. And like as they're about to arrest Haru, uh, Gobe throws a smoke bomb and switches places with Haru, so the cops arrest Gobe instead. And then Haru's just like left on the steps by himself. So it's all down to Haru now. Yes, absolutely. So as we as we knew it would end, it would just be mano a mano. Yes, with mano a fat mano. Yes. yes. <laughs> Mano a gordo. <laughs> uh, all right. So yeah. So then after this, um, Haru goes back to the hotel. Uh, he brings uh, Joey with him to. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think. Well, at this point, Haru gets like his all his like uh, equipment, his swords, and nin- you know, ninja stars and whatnot. He brings Joey with him to help him find where the lair was because he didn't know where it was before because like they blindfolded him. But uh-huh. so he, he, he figures, Oh, I'll have Joey drive me and I'll sit in the back blindfolded. And because of my keen ninja senses, I'll know, you know, where the headquarters are through, you know, you know, sound and whatnot. I can, I can reconstruct the, the route. 
exactly. the entire way. And of and course, that ends up with them driving onto a uh, a racetrack, a horse racetrack, and through a car wash. Yes, and he does not realize that he is in a car wash. They they're going through the car wash in the convertible, and he's like, "Oh, there's I'm being attacked by an octopus," <laughs> and yeah, soup. Uh, yeah, it, it's it's silly. It's silly. It's silly, and he's not very bright. <laughs> uh, so then, what happens is. I think they drive back to where they started, and they, they try it again. But at this point, uh, Gobei comes in and t- decapacitates uh, Joey, and then Gobei just drives him straight to the headquarters. Right, and and Chris Farley is still blindfolded, so he thinks like, "Oh, my brilliant directions got us here." Yeah, he doesn't realize that Gobei is has gotten them there successfully. Very Inspector Gadget. I'm just saying, guys. I'm bringing. <laughs> It all comes back to Inspector Gadget for me. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And, uh, yeah, so then to get to the headquarters, he, of course, you know, falls and stumbles his way in. Uh, I think he crashes through a window. He crashed through Mm -hmm. a lot of windows throughout this whole movie. It's a lot of... Oh, the window budget was insane. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that that had to be at least eight of the 18 million. Yeah. He's like the Kool-Aid man throughout this whole thing. Yeah. Oh, just, yeah. just so many windows. Oh yeah. The, the other ten million was the rights to kung fu fighting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and 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 to record that cover. That's so. <laughs> lightning. Uh, so yeah. So then we find out that um, Allison is tied up, and of course there's a bomb in the room with her, and who's trying to save yeah. her. Um, and then we see that Tanley has the drop on them. And the, as the henchmen surround them, that's that's when Gobei makes his presence known and helps uh, Haru fight off all the all the bad guys. And uh, I think at at one point we see that like, Gobei is being attacked and he looks like he's going down for the count. And but through Haru's love for his brother Gobei, that's when he finds the inner strength and becomes the great great white ninja he was meant to be. And he's actually like a good fighter and he actually is like competent in in this one part. Yeah, okay, yeah. I guess there was more of a payoff of the the great white ninja thing than I was thinking. So Yeah, he saves the right. day, he saves the girl. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're what, right. You're what, right. What did you want, Jonathan? <laughs> well I, I what I wanted, I mean I I guess it didn't really make it clear that he was fulfilling a specific part of the prophecy, you know? Like if if there'd been, if it had been foretold, like, and and lo, he shall uh, get this bomb away from Nicolette Sheridan and attach it to the the bad guy's vehicle, um, then he will be the great white ninja. Or I don't know. They didn't have bombs when the prophecies were written. <sighs> okay, well, it should have been written more vague, like uh, like a, a the Nostradamus things, where you can interpret it any sort of way. Right. Uh, yeah, and that, that's kind of, I mean, I, I almost say that's kind of the end of the movie, but yeah, it kind of plays it like that. Like, uh, Haru is able to save the girl, the bad guy gets away, but they hook the bomb up to his, the truck he's escaping onto, and he blows up, and right. like everything is... He, he uses like this big spear gun thing. To... Yeah, that, that giant spear gun that came out of nowhere. I was like, oh. right. And uh, yeah, he's able to save the day. Um, he, he goes back to... Uh, Japan. He says he says he's gonna go. 
he tells his sensei and all his his family that he's going to go with his, with his love, his girl, uh, Allison, to live in Beverly Hills because Beverly Hills needs a ninja. So, yeah. And they're hoping for a sequel. And yeah. It's, it's going to be easier if he's already in Beverly Hills for the sequel. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. And that's pretty much the movie. Yeah. Uh, Beverly Hills yeah. Ninja. It's definitely it's got a lot of heart in this film. It's got a lot of heart. Uh, but it, it is definitely a film that is definitely like still images projected in a very fast sequence that make it appear them to be moving. So I respect it for that. That's high praise, John. High praise. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I mean, as we said earlier up top, um, while it did it did make some did make some money, it wasn't a huge hit. It wasn't the big breakout film that you know Chris Farley was hoping it would be. Actually. I think when it first came out, like Chris was really like bummed out about it. He was really disappointed with the movie and how it yeah. was received. Um, according to uh, Bernie Brillstein, Chris Farley was so disappointed in it he cried on his Brillstein's shoulder at the, after the first screening. And then, like I think Farley told his people he didn't want to be in a movie like this anymore, just because it really yeah. he he really did not like like how it came out. Yeah, that's. That, that's not the reaction you want when you're watching your first solo starring role in a movie. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's that's kind of a drag. Yeah, I mean, I look. I mean, for I mean, for what it's worth, like I, I do like you know, I, I am a fan of Chris Farley, and I do enjoy his 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 physical humor. But I think, I think the thing is, he needed more people to play off of. Because, like, yeah, I mean, for him to like sort of being the the only comedic force to, you know, kind of carry this entire film, you know, with the exception of the few times we've had Chris Rock here and there. Like, I, I don't know if, if like, the writing was maybe strong enough for, for the whole thing to be just on his shoulders. I think he needed, like, maybe a little bit more help in a few places. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I think it would have been a stronger movie if he had more strong people to play off of. Because, like, he and, and uh, Gobey are largely separated from most of the film, so they can't really play off each other because Gobe's just kind of tracking him in secret. Right. Um, I don't think Nicolette Sheridan has a whole lot of comedic chops, you know? Um, no, she's just like the girl. She's just there. And and Chris Rock, they they don't really utilize him as much as they could, so... Right, yeah, I mean, this film pretty much is... Like, if, it, it, if you really find Chris Farley charming and and uh, love the the, the pratfalls and physical humor, which I do. I, I think he's super charming. I think his, you know, he had he does have a big heart. His sweet childlike innocence and naivete, I find very very sweet and charming. Uh, but mm-hmm. if that's all you need for a film, you'll love it. If you need, if you feel like you might need a little bit more, it might not be your cup of tea. I'll say that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was. I would. I would say I was so so on the movie at best. So, oh, so this is where I defend it. Uh, <laughs> if, you, if you if you feel the need, if you feel like we're doing the movie a disservice, no, I mean, it, it, yeah, it, it definitely is nostalgia driven, but like, it is very nineteen nineties. Um, mm-hmm. It is, uh, you know, what what I. I think the thing with Farley is, I mean, because look, like Tommy Boy is a great movie, um, and yeah, I really can watch it anytime it's on. But then mm-hmm. you know, like even Black Sheep with the same 
uh, you know, co-stars was diminishing returns. It was not, I, I, I don't, I don't know anybody who says that that's better than Tommy boy. And, and, right. you know, and it's, and the internet has weird opinions about everything, how government works. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know. January 6th. Yeah. I've seen it. Yeah. 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 You know, who so, wins elections? But I've never seen anybody be like, "Black Sheep's better than Tommy Boy." Like, and I think, <laughs> I think the thing with like Farley coming from the sketch world, it, 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 like he was really great in these five-minute increments. Yeah, you know, in in a Foley sketch, in in a in a, in a Farley show sketch, like you know, as <laughs> Giuliani's son. Um, oh, that was great. Or yeah. El Nino, you know, he has a lot of like great fun characters and stuff. And I really do think that he has more depth than people remember as, as a sketch performer. I think, yeah, with movies, it is tough because, like, you know, as someone who even loves this movie, yeah, like by the eighth, you know, time he falls, you're like, yeah, this isn't as funny anymore. And yeah, it, it does get repetitive in that yeah. regard. I think also just because, like, he he, this the movie seems to want him to be at eleven all the time. Yeah, and it it would be funnier if he was like if he got to play other levels. And I I think he was certainly capable of playing those other levels. You know. Yeah, and like clearly there's things in this movie that you know other things took from. You know, he goes to hotel and uh, pays for his stay in gold coins, and obviously the John Wick people saw that. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and were inspired, you know. I, yes. I do I do think that this is a better Iron Fist story than the Iron Fist Netflix show. Oh, <laughs> wow. That goes without saying. Yeah, I, Farley over Finn Jones any fucking day. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I think that, like, I still, I, I think this is much better than Almost Heroes because uh-huh. I, I, I do think, like, you know, and they very much were all right. Let's put him back with a sarcastic guy that can make fun of him the whole time. Right. I, I did. I, I really think that this movie would have been better um, if you had Gobey on screen and Chris Rock on screen, the three of them the whole time. I think that energy yeah. would have been really fun. Yeah. Yeah. The, the idea that you have this legit, like, you know the best ninja from the ninja island then uh you know the, the 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 great white fat ninja and then joey who believes in him <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and seeing mm-hmm. all that together but at the same time i still think there's like some endearing things about it you know i i do think you know robin shaw really puts on a great performance here i think he's really memorable um mm-hmm. like you walk away going oh who's that guy uh, yeah, um, you know um, the the sensei is, is great. Um, Nicola Sheridan, I think she's good for you know. I I don't I think it's all the script. They could have given her more. Mm-hmm. They could have given you know the villains more. But they also were like, this is a Chris Farley movie. It's about Chris Farley, and it kind of lives or dies on that. Like if you don't like Chris Farley, you will hate this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and if you really love Chris Farley, at worst you'll wish he was used better, like you guys said. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I like I said, I, I wish he'd gotten the chance to play more levels, and and I know that that's something Farley wanted to. I think at the time he was uh, he he passed, he was actually developing a movie about Fatty Arbuckle with Mamet, right? It was with David Mamet, I think. 
Uh, was it with Mammoth? Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, it was. Wow, that boggles the mind to imagine what that would have been if that had come to pass. Yeah. Absolutely. But, and I also, like, uh, you even mentioned, Mike, like how this movie, you, your love for this movie kind of comes from, like, a nostalgia for you, too, because it... Uh, yeah. You have that connection mm-hmm. to your father, and like, and I get that too. Like, there's a bunch of movies that I'll admit are kind of cheesy and kind of maybe not great, but because I saw them at a certain age, they hold a special place in my heart. Like, one of my favorite movies yeah. is a uh, you know Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon, and I'll admit that movie's kind of cheesy, but damn it, every time I put that movie on, it puts a big old smile on my face. So I mean, I there is something movie. Don't you besmirch that movie? Use <laughs> the power of the glow. Embrace it. And I'm, I'm sure that when you watched that Busta Rhymes video for the first time and you saw him as shown up in it, you felt like, oh, man, someone loves the thing I love. Yeah, I I, I squealed like a little girl and just like just fanned myself. I was like, oh, they're doing it. He's doing it. And I, just, I just yeah, I love that, it. I mean, that's that's the thing with pop culture, right? Like, and, and I, I don't know how it works for kids as, as much anymore, but it's like. You know, there are great movies that I just didn't grow up with and I just don't have any connection to and and I can appreciate what they mean to somebody else, but they just don't mean that to me, but I have my own, you know? And so right. it's like, I didn't, you know, I didn't grow up with uh, American Pie, but I saw House Party. My dad rented House Party and it's like, I love House Party. I love, uh, you know... I'm going to get you, sucker. I love oh, Lee yeah. Hills Ninja. Like, these are the, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, because, you know, we, at, at least our generation, and, you know, had that video store culture. And and if we didn't just go to a Blockbuster, we went to whatever video store the weird clerk bought stuff for. And, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, like, uh-huh. I, I grew up watching that movie, The Ghoulies, the, about the little monsters that pop out of the toilet. And, you know, there's other people that haven't heard of it because their video store clerk wasn't a weirdo who wanted that movie in his store. <laughs> you had to make a special effort to get the ghoulies in your video yeah, store. And, and it's interesting, like, you know, you realize all these shared experiences that you end up having as an, uh, as an adult that you had as a kid that you didn't even realize. Like, a movie I grew up watching that I loved was Troll 2. And... Uh-huh. It's a cult classic. Like, there's a, a movie about it called Best Worst Movie. But for us, we just had, like, Friday movie night, and my dad brought it home, and it was the dumbest thing, and we laughed at how dumb it was. But I also, I didn't know anyone else who saw it growing up. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Like, when you, when you can find people that know that one movie that you kind of think you're the only one that knows about it, like, that's a, mm-hmm. that's a real bond You can when you can find, like, people who kind of share that, that yeah, movie. Like, I, like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Another one of those was uh Fear of a Black Hat. Yeah. And not a lot of people know about that one either. It was a thing. I've never seen Spinal Tap the whole way through. Oh really? I know that Fear of a Black Hat came out after it and it's like a rap version of Spinal Tap, but I saw that yeah. one first. And so it's and and I grew up in the time of that movie, so it's just more funny to me. It's more relevant mm-hmm. to me. It's also the same like I don't like CB4 as much because I grew up on Fear of a Black Hat. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. Like, uh, I feel the same way. Uh, another movie that came out not too long ago, uh, Black Dynamite. It's a movie that like not a lot of people know about, but I saw it in the th- I saw this movie in the theaters 
like, I'm going to say like three times, three or four times. It came out in like 2009, and I fucking loved it. I think it's an amazing film. And, like, I only know a few people that also know about Black Dynamite. But, like, those people I know who also know about it, we, we, we have that connection. We have that bond. Oh, yeah. I know, I know about it, and I watch it. I'm like, oh, this is a better version of the Hebrew Hammer. Yes, right. yes. <laughs> I remember the Hebrew hammer. Yes, <laughs> Adam Goldberg, yeah. right? Yeah. Oh man, and uh, wow. <laughs> and on that note, the Hebrew hammer. I guess that's our podcast, guys. Uh, yeah. Thanks. There, there's what? There's one little bit of trivia I, I want to note. It's like the first item on the IMDb trivia page. And I have no idea if this is true. I, I look at this and I think this cannot be true. It says Christian Bale, when asked what his favorite movie was, named this movie, saying he watches it all the way through every time it's on television. Hmm. I'm Christian I'm, Bale. That's I'm awesome. Gonna, that's I, is that? Uh, I would not have expected that. But but I, now, I, now I, guys, yeah. you can see a lot of parallels between this and Batman Begins. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. So, yeah, yeah. I think it's. I think it's accurate. <laughs> Sensei had turned out to be the big villain at the end, like Rachel Ghoul at the end of Batman Begins. <laughs> I just, I do, I just love the idea of like Christian Bale, like in in his trailer, like with like the blood stained like Patrick Bateman outfit, and he's just, oh, yes. this is this is so good. Oh my <laughs> god, it, what a bloody hilarious movie! Like it'd be great in that. In that like tirade that he had on the Terminator set, if he brought this right. up, he's like, "We are making a serious film, like Beverly Hills Ninja. This <laughs> Dugan would not allow this kind of buffoonery." <laughs> I mean, that would be incredible. I just, I, I look at this big piece of trivia and I'm just like, "Is that Christian Bale just trolling a reporter?" I don't know, man. But but look, man, you can see traces of the Martin Tanley character in his Shaft villain. You can, you can. <laughs> Prove me wrong. Right. Connect the dots, people. I, Connect the dots. Yeah. No, I mean, you you make a good case. You make a good case. And wasn't he in? Um, was he in? What, what was the one? Was he in the Last Emperor or? Yeah, yeah, he was in that as a kid. Well, there you go. See, there see go. all these connections. <laughs> it's right there. Uh, okay, right there in front of your face. You turned me around. You turned me around. Yeah, Christian Bale does unironically love. Oh, I'm sorry, Empire of the Sun. That's it. Empire of the Sun. That was my it. bad. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I was I was mixing those two up too. <laughs> well, wow, Mike, Lord, thank you so much for uh, joining us. Thanks for being on the podcast with us. Uh, dude, you were an amazing guest. Thank you so much. This this was great. This was so much fun, man. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me. And uh, Robin Chow, uh, you are appreciated. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I'm giving you your flowers, Robin Chow. And, yeah. uh, I have my own podcast, uh, Wrestle Roast. Uh, we roast a different mm -hmm. professional wrestler. Um, and it's on, it airs uh, every Friday wherever you get podcasts. Oh. Nice. Nice. Do you Are you roasting them like face-to-face? -face? No. So, no, we are, we are not doing that. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm sure, like, someone like Bret Hart, I'm sure, is going to listen to it. Uh -huh. <laughs> Some yeah. of these guys Google themselves. <laughs> <laughs> I can just imagine, like, somebody, like, I'm, like, Razor Ramon looking, like, what the, what is this podcast about? <laughs> <laughs> what? 
They talking uh, about me, Mang? Oh, oh wow! <laughs> Come on! I imagine you like flicking a toothpick at the microphone right now. <laughs> yeah. Your name uh, is Scott. You're not from Cuba. I'm sorry, <laughs> Mang. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, so, Mike, so where can the people find you on social media? Please, plug away. Uh, yeah, I'm at uh, Mike Lawrence Comedy on Instagram. Okay. All right, All right so they should they should follow you on Instagram at Mike Lawrence Comedy. And uh, you can get all your Mike Lawrence Comedy needs there. Right. And, uh, yeah, if uh, you want to follow us on uh, Instagram or Twitter or uh, however, you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram at Darren Credible. That's D-A-R-I-N Credible. And I am on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Trumbull Comic, T-R-U-M-B-U-L-L, and the word comic. Right. And uh, as always, please uh, rate, review, subscribe, uh, you know, leave uh, five stars, and join the Patreon. Give us some money, all that jazz. Yeah. Yeah. That's, a, that's all good. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. That's a ticket. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we're going to be back. We're done. Have we positively decided what we're doing yet next week, Darren? I can't even remember right now. I think we did. I could say it now okay. if, you, if you want. Yeah, go for it. All right. Well, I think we're going to talk about, um, speaking of movies that deserve more shine, like we were talking about before, we're going to do Popstar, Never Stop, Never Stopping. They had the, um, yeah. the uh, Lonely Island joint with uh, Andy Samberg and Yorma Tacone and Akiva Schaefer. It's, uh, I'll... I'll, I'll I'll, uh, I'll, I'll show my hand a little bit right now. This movie deserved way more love than it got. I'm looking forward to this to this next episode. It's going to be a hoot and half to me. And also this- a breakout performance for Chris Red. Yeah, that's the first time I've ever yeah. saw Chris Red. Yeah, he he knocked out the part. Oh, we're, I, 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 I got I to calm down. I got to save this all for the next episode. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, this is an old favorite of yours. I have never seen it before. I'm going to be coming to it fresh. So we're going to... We're going to get into it next week. Nice. So, so that's going to be fun. Um, so please uh, check us out uh, next Monday for that. But until then, nerds, nerds out. out! This has been a non-productive media presentation. Executive producer, Frank Hablawi. This program and many others like it on the Non-Productive Network is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Please share it, but ask before trying to change it or sell it. For more information, visit non-productive.com.